our crazy faith. Can I get the house lights up a touch as well? Can't see anyone. I'm sorry. We've been talking about crazy faith. There you are. Hey, say hello to the person next to you. We've been talking about crazy faith and wasn't last week awesome? We had an interview of some of our East Lakers, Joyce Bolton, Boyett, he's over here, and Michael Woolley, who was up on the guitar today, and it was just amazing. I love hearing authentic people share about their faith. It's powerful. I mean, Scripture even says, doesn't it, in Revelation, that the enemy was defeated by the sacrifice of Jesus, but also the power of our testimony. Our testimony is just our story of God working on the inside of our lives, and it was awesome. In week one, we talked about how crazy faith is about the who and not the what. You should have these by now, right? And what, what isn't crazy faith? Safe faith. Thank you, Pastor Bron. You should have known that one. And then we also said that crazy faith, it can start with baby faith. And we looked at the life of Abraham from Paul's writing in Romans. And today, I want to look at the two times that Jesus said, wow, that's crazy faith. The two times that he marveled at the people's faith. And to do that, we're going to look at Mark chapter 6. But before we go into Mark chapter 6, I want to give you a little bit of a background of what was happening before this point. In Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5. You can go home and read it, but really I think it should be made into like an epic mini-series on Netflix. You've got Jesus, right? And if you read in Mark chapter 4, you'll see a title that says, Jesus calms the storm. And don't you think it's quite funny how the Bible's always just sort of real, oh yeah. You know, you read it and go, oh cool. And we turn the page, don't we? But we forget in that time how incredibly crazy that would have been, even now. You know, these aren't just Bible stories. They're real life accounts of Jesus' time on earth. And Jesus calms the storm. He literally stands up and goes, quiet. Be still. I imagine him saying it to that drip that's been coming from the aircon up there week after week. I'm glad it's a fine day today. Quiet. Be still. If anyone has that faith this morning and can stop that drip, come see me. I promise I'll believe in God forever. That's what we said last week, didn't we? It's incredible how God works these miracles through his son Jesus and even in the times before that in the Hebrew scriptures. And yeah, some people's hearts had changed, but a lot of people's hearts were hardened after seeing these miracles. In fact, it ultimately came to the point where they were calling, crucify him on the cross. It's crazy, isn't it? Jesus calms the storm and then Ep 2, the level up from that, he restores a demon-possessed man. Ooh, that seems okay. He doesn't just do that. He casts the demons into a herd of pigs that run off a cliff and die dramatic Jesus, right? And by now, I imagine his Instagram following is getting a little bit bigger. You know, his, his popularity is on the rise. The paparazzi are probably chasing him around everywhere. I know the feeling. I've been on a Salon Express ad. You know the jingle. The paparazzi are chasing him, so he starts to, like, change his approach just a little bit. So this time he's walking and the crowds are following him and a lady who has an issue with bleeding for 12 years reaches out with the faith and touches his cloak and she's healed. Jesus is kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess that happened. But I guess his following would have increased, right? 
And so for his final finale in the episode of Keeping Up With The Christ, those of you Kardashian followers know that reference, he raises a dead girl to life. I mean, that doesn't need an explanation, does it? Dead to life is about as great as it gets. This epic mini-series, calming the storm, dead girl to life, restoring a demon-possessed man, a woman with the issue of bleeding, as it's weirdly titled. And then we read Mark chapter 6. None of that has got anything to do with the message today. (laughs) It's simply the intro. To this scripture, as we see Jesus return to his home. In verse 1, we read that Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal him. That's kind of cool, Jesus. Verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. This morning, I want to title the message, Shoulda, Woulda, Coulda. Probably the most Australian title of a message that you will ever hear. Shoulda, Woulda, Coulda. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you went before us and lived this blameless, perfect, spotless life, but then took upon you our sins. As you died upon the cross, you made a way. And when you rose again, you broke the power of sin in our lives, the power of darkness over this world. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, we want to step into that this morning with faith. And we ask God that you speak to us individually where we are at this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Now, Nazareth was Jesus' home, right? Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. And he's returning to his hometown out of Mark chapter 4 and 5, Capernaum. Capernaum, how do you say that one? Capernaum? We'll go with Capernaum. There's a few words today that I'm not quite sure on, but if you say them confidently enough, people believe you, right? So he's coming from Capernaum, and he's on his way back to his hometown, and he's off the back of these incredible miracles. And the crowd are, you know, cheering in his hometown. I kind of picture it like the Dockers returning with their first Premiership Cup. That's a lie. That was probably more when Jesus himself actually was raised to life. This is more like just the Eagles returning with another premiership cup, right? And they come in and the town's going, yeah, the locals are like, go Eagles. They're like, go Jesus. You're awesome. And we read that in verse 2. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked, what's this wisdom 
that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? They were impressed. I'm impressed. Are you impressed? We're impressed, right? And then they turn on him. Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, honey's sisters, here with us? And they took offense at him. The Message Bible says that in the very next breath, they were cutting him down. Why? What was it about? What was going on in the hearts of the people in Nazareth? Oh, I know his mum. I know what he used to do for a job. I know where he came from. Why? I believe that there were two things happening on the inside of the people of Nazareth, on their hearts. And the first thing was simple. They simply tripped over what little they knew about him. We talked about this in week one. Crazy faith is about who and not what. But here they are going, oh, what, what's this guy doing? I know his family. Where, where, don't we know where he lives? Isn't his sister around here? Where's his sister? Which one of you is his sister? And they completely miss who is standing in front of them. They completely miss it. And I think we do this a lot as well. And I'm not just talking about new Jesus followers. I wonder sometimes if we get tripped up by the pursuit of knowledge and miss the miracle working in our life or block the miracle from working in our life. And we say, no, I need to know more. I need to know more before I take that step. I need to know more. I need to know which one of you is his sister. I need to know more. Why didn't Adam and Eve just not eat the fruit? I need to know more. What's this sacrificing goats that I read about got to do with anything today? I need to know more. Why doesn't God just fix everything in the world? I need to know more. Why does my Bible tell me that sex is designed for the confines of marriage? I need to know more before I trust this guy. And in the pursuit of knowledge, we trip over before we even begin. Like the people of Nazareth. Are we being tripped by the pursuit of knowledge and missing Jesus working a miracle? And you've got to hear me correctly this morning. All those questions... They're good questions. They are powerful questions, but they are not who we believe in. They aren't who we believe in. They can strengthen your faith. They will strengthen your faith. They will strengthen your understanding of grace. They will help you to live the life that Jesus has called you to live. But faith in Jesus alone is what saves us. So they tripped over what little they knew about him. That was the first thing happening on the inside of their heart. I think the second thing, and probably and perhaps the greater thing that was going on, was this issue with authority. They had authority issues. Jesus was coming with authority. You'd be coming with authority, wouldn't you? If you'd just been on the back of that miniseries. You'd be a little bit on fire. At least I would. Probably with, if I could just do one out of those four, or the drip, I'd be coming in confident. If that drip's fixed this week, I'll be back next week going, come on, church. Let's have some crazy faith. And he was coming with confidence. He was speaking with conviction. I mean, he wasn't just speaking scripture. 
He is scripture. The word made flesh. And at first the people go, oh, awesome. Hang on. Are you speaking to me? No, 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 no. No, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Slow down, mate. Don't, don't speak into my life. I know where you came from. I know your brother James. We used to hang out. Don't, well, don't speak into my life. They had an issue with authority. And I think we reject parts of his authority in our lives too. Don't you? I think we've got a lot in common with the, Na- the people of Nazareth. Because let's let them off. That would have been a hard pill to swallow. Like we said in week one, if Jesus came back and, James, like, and said, I'm the saviour, and James, his brother, would have been like, sure, mate. But that helps me believe because James, I mean, in his writing, he talks about Jesus as his saviour. I mean, if you've got to convince the brother, you've got a pretty convincing story. But he couldn't convince the people of Nazareth. We reject authority in our life, his authority in our lives, in parts of our lives, don't we? We say, hey, Jesus, I cast my anxieties upon you. And he says, thank you. And can you give me that resentment and forgiveness too? Oh, no, I'm holding on to that one. Hey, Jesus, I've been praying and reading my Bible every morning. He says, thank you. And can you hand me that computer that you look at at night? We say, hey, Jesus, did you see me give that guy some slack at work? Look at me. Love your neighbor. And he says, yeah, thank you. That was awesome. But what about how you treat your wife when you get home? Oh, no, Jesus, you didn't see what she did this morning. You didn't see what she said. She doesn't respect me. And we reject his authority in parts of our lives. Let's be honest. Oof. Challenging message this morning. If I was dad, I'd go, ooh. (laughs) Challenging message this morning. Oh, it's a spectacle if you haven't been here before. I'm referring to my dad's preaching. Um... And uh, I can't wait till it's live streamed one day so that everyone can enjoy the passion in truth. So they reject his authority. In verse 6, it tells us that he couldn't do any miracles there, except lay his hand on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. That word amazed in the Greek is thumazo. There was that word I said confidently. Thank you. Thumazo, which just means to marvel, to stand in wonder. And most of the time it's used regularly in the Gospels, but most of the times it's used in the people's reference to Jesus. They're marveling at Jesus. It's actually only ever used two times. Jesus uses that word when he refers to people's faith. The first is in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is basically stepping back and going, wow. That's crazy. He was amazed that the people of Nazareth wouldn't believe when there's every reason that they should. Every reason that they should. And Jesus goes, what? And he was amazed. He marveled at their lack of faith. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I fear he may marvel at us 
sometimes, but not for the right reasons. If I were a teenager or a 20-subject, which I have been only one year ago, (laughs) I'd hate for Jesus to look at me and go, wow, there's this guy that's grown up in a a faith-filled family, Bible reading at the table, prayer, opportunity, encouragement, a safe home, and yet he's got no desire to follow me. Amazing, Jesus would say but not for the right reasons. I wonder if he marvels us at times when we sit under the teaching of the word. We know all of our Bible stories. We enjoy church, but we've got no zeal for Christ. No desire to grow in him. No effort to put him first. And he marvels at us. Nazareth is a warning to us. Familiarity breeds spectacular unbelief. Familiarity breeds spectacular unbelief. Have we got authority issues? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? It's a good question to ask while I drink this water. Don't be discouraged. Two times Jesus used this word, right? Let's move to the second one in Luke chapter 7. The story of the Roman centurion. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There's our favorite place. There's a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. He was healed. It's the first time that Jesus had healed someone without even being present. That's crazy faith. And this passage is so rich with content, and I feel like I'm going to rush through it this morning. Because there's so much about this centurion's faith and his surrender to the Savior that can speak to us and can speak to you. So I encourage you to to go home and unpack that and read over that and say, God, what are you saying to me in this moment? This is a guy, he was a non-Jew. He hadn't grown up with all the Hebrew scripture in the faith, memorizing the first five books of the Bible. He had none of that. All he had was that he recognized who Jesus was, who he was, and he understood authority. There's that theme again. He knew who Jesus was, who he was, and he understood authority. You know what speaks to me most out about those three things? Was his understanding of self. 
I think it's one of the most powerful things. And you see it in the scripture in verse 6. He says, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent his friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is a centurion, and you've got to understand history to understand this was a significant character. This was a wealthy character. And so for him to send messages to say, I'm not worthy, is a pretty big deal. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. I think the greatest revelation that we can have as Jesus followers is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and we need to approach Jesus daily with that revelation. The centurion, he understood authority. He recognized who Jesus was. But I think it was his surrender to the Savior that saved him, that unlocked the miracle. And when Jesus saw this, he was amazed. He stepped back and went, wow, that's some crazy faith. Two times Jesus uses that word. The first, for those who believe when it's not expected they would, like the Roman centurion. And the second, those who disbelieve when there's every reason that they should. Those who believe when it's not expected they would, and those who disbelieve when there's every reason that they should. Does Jesus ever marvel at you? I think he marvels when he sees people trusting in the midst of suffering and pain. I think when he sees people from the roughest backgrounds come to him with broken-hearted humility, he marvels. I think when he sees people put aside comfort and security to extend the kingdom, to preach the gospel, to share his love and his hope and his peace, I think he marvels. Nazareth is a warning to us that familiarity breeds spectacular unbelief. The story of the centurion, it's a ray of hope because it sends us this message that it doesn't matter where you are at, centurion or servant, surrender to the Savior. Surrender leads to salvation. I don't want to look back and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. I want centurion faith, don't you? Centurion faith that says he is for me. So who can stand against me? As the band come up, let's look at what centurion faith means. I think centurion faith says it might not have happened before. Remember, no one had been healed by Jesus when he wasn't present. It might not have happened before, but my God can do the impossible. Centurion faith says, humble me, Lord, under your mighty hand, that you may lift me up in due time. Centurion faith makes Jesus go, whoa, that's crazy faith. Each week we've been bringing the message to a point of action that you can take into your week. In week one, we ask questions like, if God didn't do what you were praying for, asking of him, then would you still trust him? Which spoke into crazy faith being about who and not what. We also ask that question, are we too comfortable? Because crazy faith isn't safe faith. We asked, how could we this week 
trust God? How can we start out with that baby step of faith, believing that God is always good? Last week, from the stories of those that shared, I challenged you to take something and apply it into your life. Maybe it was the perspective of Joyce that said, God is good. No matter what I see, He is with me. And this week, I've got a prayer for us that I really want to challenge you to wake up each morning before you step into anything and pray this really simple prayer together. Would you get out your phone, your notepad or whatever it is and take this down? I want you to wake up each day and make this declaration over your life. We'll put it up on social media on Monday. It goes like this. My God is for me, so who can stand against me? I am being changed into His image. Today, Lord, let Your will be done and not my own. Who He is, who we are, and surrender to His authority. I'll read it again. My God is for me, so who can stand against me? I am being changed into His image. Today, Lord, let Your will be done and not my own. Say it with me. My God is for me, so who can stand against me? I am being changed into His image. Today, Lord, let your will be done and not my own. Who He is, who we are, and understanding authority. Would you stand with me right now? We're going to go back into this song. Declares a blessing over our lives. Before we do that, I want to pray and declare a blessing over your lives this, this week. You know, as we wake up each morning with the understanding of who our Savior is, who we are in Christ, and the understanding of authority, not only that Jesus has over us, but that we have because Jesus is in us. I believe that will take you into your week with so much strength and courage that the people around you will be going, hey, what's going on with you this week? And guess what you get to do? Come to church, check it out. Come and see, come and see, come and see. Because I've found my creator. I understand who I am. And I've got a power on the inside of me that nothing in this world can take away. As you bow your heads, I'm gonna pray over you. Dear Lord, for every person in this room right now, would you pour out your blessing over their lives, God? Lord, we declare victory in the name of Jesus. We declare healing in the name of Jesus. Lord, we stand right now with our foot on the neck of the enemy, with you on the inside of us, that same power that rose you from the dead lives in us. And so I say with all authority this morning, darkness go, sickness leave, freedom come. Lord, would you break the chains, Lord, of unforgiveness, of pain, of grief, of sickness, of addiction over our lives, God. 
Lord, as we go into this week, Lord, would your light shine so bright from us that people would be attracted to the light, God, and we would take the opportunity with courage to say, come and see. I think I've got this thing figured out. At least I know someone who does and his name is Jesus. God, I thank you for who you are in our lives. Lord, I thank you that who we are isn't defined by what we do or what we have done or what we will do, but by what you call us, which is child of God, chosen, heir with Christ, set apart and free from condemnation in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for the blessing that you are to us. And Lord, let us be a blessing to our community. In Jesus' mighty name, let's agree with it. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for coming to church. Someone's going to come up and close after we sing, but take that challenge on board. If you missed it and you were slow with the typing or the writing down, we will share it with you or come see Lee or someone like that. They've got it. All right? I love you, church. I love you so much. If you want to make a decision to follow after Jesus, usually I'd send you up the back to chat to that info desk, but I feel the call to say, come to me this morning. And so I'll be down the front or you can catch me after this morning and just grab me and say, hey, I want to know more. I'd love to pray with you. Let's worship together.